All right, if we could start making our way to our seats. And if you got your Bible, which I hope you do, you can go ahead and open it and turn to, um, you probably know where, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. So let's see what happens tonight. I don't think I'm going to keep you that long, but I say that and then we go as long as we always go. So we'll, we'll just see what happens. I won't make any promises, but um, so we come to the end of this little section that we've been in um, with these with these series of passages about um, loosely about discipleship and, and what it means or aspects of what it means to be a disciple. So we come to verse seven and it says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for um, this day. Um, God, we thank you for um, God, all your many blessings um, as we uh, enter in and open up your word. Um, Father, we ask that uh, you would speak to us uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that you would illuminate this passage um, as we as we study it. God, that you would shine a light on this text, that you would shine a light into our minds and hearts. Um, God, that the that the Spirit um, would would converse um, between you and us, um, and that uh, we would understand this uh, rightly uh, and apply it rightly to our lives. Um, God, we. Uh, recognize that if, if there is to be revival in our community, that if there is to be revival, um, it must start with ourselves. It must start in the house of God. Um, we ask that your spirit would move and awaken us, that it would stir us up, um, that we would be more committed um, to your word, that we would be more committed to following Jesus Christ, um, that we would be more committed to um, taking the message of the gospel um, and sharing it with those around us, God, that we would serve and that we would engage and we would love all with gentleness, all with respect. Um, but God, that you would use us to bring revival to our community through the power of the Holy Spirit working. God, we need you to move um, in our community. We need you to move here tonight um, as you speak to us. Uh, we ask that you would do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, okay, so so we finished last week, um, as we finished the message last week, we came to sort of this implication. Um, and I don't know if you were here, and I know I didn't get it um, uh, posted until today, I think it was, or maybe it was yesterday, I can't remember now. But anyway, I didn't get the message posted, so if you weren't here last week, you probably hadn't had time to listen to it yet. Um, but we talked about at the end, sort of closing as an implication of what we talked about, that the source of all of our hope um, all of the power that we hope to have access to, all of our confidence is found in Jesus Christ, okay? That in and of ourselves, that we are not enough. So I, I'm, you've probably noticed this, and I did a little bit of looking around, and I'm not sure where it started, but you've probably seen signs and little things that people post online and memes and things like that that use the phrase and say, you are enough. Okay. Have you seen that? Have you seen that around? Right. You are enough. And it pops everywhere. I tried to figure out where the source of it was. And I'm sure it goes back to something, you know, some uh, book or something or whatever. But I couldn't really find the exact source. I saw lots of people referencing it and, and, uh, um, whatever. Okay. And so here's the deal. I, I don't want to be like 
too critical because I know that is that message is meant to be encouraging, right? Um, I'm sure it is aimed at people who feel as though they have been beat down, they've been demeaned by the world or whatever. And so it's meant to be something encouraging to lift people up. Um, and honestly, as I looked at the kind of little people commenting on it, there's a lot of different ways you could even take that phrase that you are enough, right? Which is actually what makes it probably a great little mantra because it's vague enough that you can make it mean kind of whatever you want it to mean. Okay. That's the way good mantras kind of work in, in the broader culture. Um, but here's the thing is that there is a very real sense in which it is patently categorically false, right? Um, you are not enough, not enough for pretty much anything. Uh, you are not enough by design. First off, God designed you in creation so that you would be not enough. He started you out being dependent. You would always be dependent. Even when we were in Eden in perfection, you were still dependent. You weren't enough in Eden. Um, you're certainly not enough now after the fall. Right? We have stepped into sin. And if you think about it, and we've talked about this many times, in, in, in some ways, the root sin in, in Genesis 3 um, is the idea of saying, yeah, but I could be independent, right? I could be enough. Um, I could eat this fruit, and this snake over here tells me that if I'll eat it, um, I will be like God. I'll be enough. And so in some ways, the very core sin of our existence is to try to be enough outside of the way God has created us. But then in doing that, we fall into sin, and now we are certainly not enough. But then that opens up another opportunity for us to see how we are not enough in, in terms of our salvation, right? Um, in terms of the fact that we cannot redeem ourselves. We cannot figure out how to fix the situation we have gotten ourselves into. We still need somebody to come in and do something for us, right? It's interesting because dependence is not necessarily a bad thing. Like we think of it being uh, you know, we think about it in terms of finances. We think in terms of like growing up and moving out and getting a job and things like this. What do we want? We want independence. You know, we want financial independence. We want work independence. We want we, independence is a good thing. But here's the deal. Dependence is not a bad thing. You were made to be dependent. Um, it's a good thing. I would hate to be completely independent, right? Wouldn't you? To have nobody and nothing around you that you needed, um, that's not a good thing. Like, I, I want to be dependent, and God's made us to be dependent, okay? So being dependent is not a negative, but we can sure make a mess of that being dependent. And so what happens is as we recognize our the fact that we are dependent, it does a couple things. One, it obviously makes us recognize that that we um, are, are not what's most important, but it, it maybe a better way to say it is that it decentralizes us, right? It takes us out of the center of the equation. So we like to somehow think that we are in the middle and everything else is revolving around us. But that's not the way we were made. And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we see that very quickly. Even though we act like we are, we slip into the mindset where we are at the center. God is in our service. Everybody is in our service. That's why you get so annoyed at dumb little things, right? When you go to the, uh, the, the fast food place and you're like, man, why is this line taking so long? Well, it's because lines take some long sometimes, but that's not why you're thinking that you're thinking about, I got things to do today, right? I'm, why are these people not living up to my expectations of the way this line should work? Okay. That's why you get mad because in a subtle way, you would never just stop and say it. You would never say I'm the center of the universe, but you act every day. I act every day. Like I am the center of the universe. And that everything ought to revolve around the way that I think. Even God, a lot of times. God is there uh, to serve me, to affirm me, to bless me, to actualize my dreams. If I want something and I pray about it, and we can tie it into the passages we've already been on. I ask for God to do something and he doesn't do it. Then wh what's going on? Why, why are my ambitions and dreams not being met up to? The reality is, is that nothing could be further than from the truth that we are at the center. We are not anywhere near the center. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating 
uh, to a large extent in this passage, okay? He starts off with this idea, and is the reality that we are servants, okay? That is our nature. We were created that way. We are servants, okay? Now, there's all kinds of other aspects that we could talk about. We could talk about the idea of the fact that in Christ, we are also sons and daughters, right? And so we could talk about other aspects of this thing, but there is a fundamental way in which we, when we look at our relationship with God, we are servants. He is the master. We are servants. So he starts out in verse seven. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once, recline at the table, Right? What is that guy doing? He's this, this servant who's coming from the field is acting like he is the one who should be served. He is the one who should be the focus and everybody else is working to, to please and to make happy. No, verse eight, he will not rather say to, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards you will eat and drink. Okay. So just as a caveat real quick, this is not a passage that is meant to encourage you to be a jerky boss. Okay. Or overbearing or ungrateful or anything like that. Like there have, I've never actually read one, but I hear people reference the fact that there are certain places you can look to in the history of the church where they would come to a passage like this and say, see, this passage is teaching you how to be, you know, a domineering master or something like that. An ungrateful and, and, and commanding and, and master. That's not, this isn't from the master's perspective, right? This is from the, the servant's perspective, right? It's, we're, we're talking to him. We're reminding him of something. And what we're reminding of him is, is the fact that oftentimes we've forgotten our place in this whole thing. Who is the servant? Who is the master? Our hearts place us at the center, and we see this all around us in our daily culture, Right? Our happiness is at the center, our desires, our identity, our sexuality, all of these things that are hot button topics in our culture. And as that self-centeredness becomes more paramount, um, we expect everybody to line up around us. OK, and so we, we've talked about a little bit before this this culture of affirmation, right? Everybody has to affirm me in the way that I've decided to be. In a sense, what we're doing is we're all agreeing that we all get to be our own little centers. Right. And so it's sort of like, I'll be my center as long as you guys agree to revolve around me. But when it comes to your little thing, then we'll agree that you're the center and then I'll revolve around you. And we can just mutually revolve around each other, um, pretending that each of us are the center. Everyone has to agree with me. Right. You're here to serve my self-perception. God's here to serve my self-perception. It's God's job to come in, into alignment and encourage me in my choices. But again, what's the problem? And we've forgotten our place in so many of these things. God is the master. We serve at his pleasure every single day. You know, I've talked about, well, I, I love the show, uh, The West Wing. I've loved, I love the show, The West Wing. It's sort of weird that I love it so much because the, the politics on it is, is relatively liberal. Um, right. And I'm not a, my politics is not liberal. Um, but I love the show. It's got great acting, great episodes and stuff like this. But there are several episodes where they make this point. They talk about the idea that these people who are there, they serve at the leisure of the president, right? So there are these several episodes where the president will come in and say, hey, man, I need you to do something. It's not easy. It's going to be hard. You may lose you a lot of friends. Will you do it? And they always say, I serve at the leisure of the president, meaning I'm here to do whatever you tell me to do. Okay, um, within ethical reasons and everything else. I'm here to do what you've called me to do because that's what that's what I'm here to do. Okay. We serve at the leisure of God. It isn't God's responsibility to serve us, but ours to serve him. Now you say, now wait a minute, Ash, but Jesus does serve us, right? Aren't we served by Christ? Didn't Jesus come to serve us? Haven't we read parables about that in places where Jesus talks about the fact that he did not come, uh, he came to serve and not to be served? Well, what's going on there? Well, here's the, the thing, though. That's, that's accurate. But we can't separate that from his mission. We can't separate that from his incarnation, him coming to, to earth and taking on the form of a servant. He came to save us and to sanctify us. And you know how he does that? He does that by being the new and better Adam. We say he does that by showing us what real humanity looks like. Perfect humanity looks like. And so in his incarnation, he takes on the form of a servant because he is modeling for us what a perfect servant should look like. 
not only is he modeling it, he is accomplishing what a perfect servant, perfect servant should look like, right? He is doing it in our place. Okay. So as Christ is this servant, let me put it this way. Man, when we get to heaven, when we get to the new heaven and the new earth, um, there's going to be a different picture there in some ways, right? Like we're not going to be sitting there worshiping at the throne of Jesus. And then Jesus is like, no, nah, man, come on up here. This is about you, man. Come on. You come up and sit on the throne for a little while. We'll have this. That's not going to be the way it plays out. Okay. Um, Jesus has come to serve us, but it is to accomplish the perfect service that we were supposed to have lived out and didn't. It's to set the perfect example of service that we have not lived. Christ's servanthood is for our good. There's no question about that. But at the same time, there's no question that he is preeminent in all things. We don't ever mix it up where we just kind of look around and go, yeah, there's me and, you know, Mark and Kyle and Bill and Jesus and just a bunch of guys standing around, right? It's, it's all the same. That's not what happens, right? At, at the end of every day, we still say Jesus is preeminent. We all serve at his command, not the other way around. Jesus is the master. We are the servant. And guess what? So here's the next thing. If we're servants, if that's our nature, it is incumbent upon servants to do your duty. It is your duty to serve the master. So what does he say in verse nine? Man, this is a harsh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a biting passage. He says, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Okay. That is a biting line. If you'll like, listen to it in your heart for a little bit. Think about this. What is the standard for Christian living? What standard, how Christian do we need to be? It's a weird way of saying it, right? What are we supposed to be living up to? Well, here's the deal. The standard is perfection, right? Perfect obedience is the standard that we are called to in Jesus Christ. Sometimes you'll hear people in the church say things like, they'll say, we know God doesn't expect us to be perfect, okay? This is what they mean by that. This is what I hope they mean by that, okay? When they say that, when they say God doesn't expect us to be perfect, what they mean by that is God knows in his perfect knowledge that we are sinners and that we will frequently fail. That's what he mean, That's what we uh, hope we mean. But what we don't mean is that when we say God doesn't expect you to be perfect, we're not saying that the standard for what he has called us to is not still perfect obedience, because it is. Perfection is the expectation. And that's what he's sanctifying us towards, in fact. That's what we will be in eternity. There will be no more sin in eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. Perfect obedience is not something that we should just expect like super Christians um, to have. Again, think about last week when we talked about this idea with a little bit of faith, you could pick up, you could tell that mulberry bush and that mountain to go take a swim somewhere, right? And it would, and it would listen to you because of faith working in you. I think it's the case is that, man, if, if, if we, one day we will experience the fact that Christ working through us can bring us to perfect obedience. It may not be in this life. Okay. It almost certainly will not be in this life, but the power of Christ working through us is all that we need to follow in perfect obedience. We talked about last week how when we read those other passages, verses one through six, right, that it seems as if the disciples are almost saying, man, Jesus, you're asking too much. Um, This task of being holy, living in righteousness before people and not leading people into sin, of forgiving people, of taking sin seriously, of taking sinners seriously, it's too much. And what was what is Jesus saying? He's saying it's not too much. That's your job. That's your duty. I can't forgive somebody over and over again, Jesus. It's just too hard. That's the job. Okay? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you're called to to do. You don't get to step into it and say, "Eh, I don't think I'm going to do that part. Like, I love this whole getting saved and not going to hell thing. But that whole forgiving 100 times or 70 times 7 or whatever, "Eh, I'm not going to do that piece. Okay? And Jesus says, this is the job. This is the duty that you are called to. I'm the master. You're the servant. What do servants do? They do, they, they do what their duty tells them to do. And that is perfect obedience. Obedience is the job description for Christians. I've shared this story before about, you know, Christy. Uh, I was on the phone one time and it was somebody was, somebody had called me and I was talking on the phone and they said, Hey man, you want to go do this thing? You want to go to the movie? You want to go this football game or something like that? And I said, Oh man, I can't. Uh, I got to babysit my kids. And Christy said, it's not babysitting. It's parenting. That's your job. 
right? Okay. Um, and it was sort of a funny moment that has made a great sermon illustration through the years. Okay. Because the deal is, is that's exactly right. I'm their dad. Okay. It's not babysitting. My duty, duty is to them. That's the job. Okay. If I was calling a friend to come in and do it, it would not be their job and they would be doing it as a favor or, or as a, you know, uh, something to earn money or, or whatever else. But my job as a parent is to raise my kid. And so any situation where I have to raise my kid, it's just what I'm called to do. It's the job description. Well, again, in those other passages, it seems like the disciples are saying, man, it's too much. What you're calling is to Jesus. It's too hard. I'm not capable of doing it. I can't, I'm not capable of forgiving people the way you're saying. I'm not capable of, of living in holiness the way you're saying. And on one side, it's like, you are capable. True, you're not capable in and of yourself. Back to the dependent thing, you are not capable in and of yourself, but you are capable in the sense that the employer has given you all the tools you need to follow him and obey his command. The power of Christ working through faith, even tiny faith, even mustard seed faith, the spirit of Christ dwelling inside of us, those things are enough. Incalculable power and strength in those things. And so it's not too hard, right? Again, man, I, most I don't know about your jobs, but like most jobs don't work that way. Like, I don't work at UPS, I, I do work at UPS, but like, I don't go to UPS and they go, hey, listen, we need you to move these boxes. And I go, yeah, I don't I really like moving boxes, so I'm not going to do that today, right? They would just say, man, that's, that's all we're here to do. Like, that's literally the only thing you do. You move boxes around. If, you, if you're not up for this job, then you should probably should have reconsidered taking on this position, Okay. In a, in a, it, without sounding too harsh, Jesus says the same thing. You remember when we've talked about before about counting the cost of following Christ? He says, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to save you. I'm going to empower you, but I'm going to call you to certain things. And you should think about that before you get into this. Because if you're not interested in doing these things, you should probably go somewhere else. We must never think that obedience is extracurricular to Christianity. It's not just for the varsity Christians, right? It's not just for the Green Beret Christians. It's for anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. So verse 10 says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should just say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Right, the Pharisees are kind of sitting in the background of this. I think they're the background of this story. Jesus is talking to the disciples, but the Pharisees are back there as sort of like the poster boys for this attitude, right? That they're walking around acting as if, man, like God must be so excited that we're on his team, right? To have a bunch of awesome Pharisees on his team, like, I mean, he must be really glad that he got such spiritual people to, to, to be part of his followers. The disciples don't seem to be that way, right? I mean, obviously they do in some ways, but like even in this passage, they're saying, I don't think we're up to this. We need more faith. They're acknowledging what Jesus is telling them they should acknowledge. And that is, at the end of the day, you're unworthy servants. That's what you are. That's the posture that we're supposed to take towards God. The passage that I come back to over and over again, because it's one of those ones that just sticks in my heart, is Psalms 8410. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. That is to say, I would rather have the most basic, menial, boring task in the house of the Lord than to be treated as the guest of honor at a banquet in the house of the wicked, right? I would rather do anything for Jesus than the best thing. For anybody else. Obedience isn't a burden. It is our delight. Right? We should be happy and excited to obey God. And at the end of the day, even when we've obeyed him, there should be nothing in us that says, boy, Jesus was glad I was here today. We should say, I'm just an unworthy servant. I've just done what I'm supposed to do. 
I have done what I was commanded to. There's no honor in doing what you've been told to do. It's just what you're supposed to do. I don't, we'd have to talk about it more. If, if, If there was some way we could do over and above what God had told us to do, right? Um, I think this is just me. Maybe I shouldn't just meander in my thoughts when I'm standing in the pulpit, but like, I think that, you know, when, when Paul says things like he says, Hey, um, you know, I deserved a, a wage. I, I could have asked for a wage for my preaching, but I didn't do that because I didn't want to put that extra burden on you. I had a right that was given to me, my God, to make a living from the ministry. And yet I didn't take that. Maybe there's something there where it's almost like Paul is saying, there's something I can boast in there um, because I'm going above and beyond for Jesus Christ. But man, just following him and what he said, that's just what we're supposed to do. Just obedience. It's just our duty. Everything I've ever received from God was a gift, right? A blessing. I didn't earn any of it. So that's that unworthy piece. I have only ever done what was expected to me. Expected of me. I've only ever done my duty. Any good thing I've ever done is just what God had told me to do. And I could never do anything to put God in my debt. Right? I could never act in a way that God would go, boy, I owe Ash something because he was so obedient or he was so faithful or something. Perfect obedience would still be, you just did what I told you to do. I think he would still say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? But it would just be what he told me to do. What if I don't live in any way that causes people to stumble like verses one and two? Jesus would say, that's what you're supposed to do. What if I forgave other people over and over again, like it said in in verses three or four or five and six, whichever one it was. Jesus would say, yeah, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Even if I lived a sinless life, even if I never broke God's word in any way, I would still have no merit on my side to recommend me to God. That would, in a sense, just bring me to level, right? Bring me to the zero point because I would have just done what God called me to, okay? This is one of those passages that what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to just sort of reorient us, right? Like it should be the kind of passage that sits behind and underneath things so that when we start thinking in terms of what we are owed and what we deserve um, and how we should be treated and what we're worthy of and all those kind of things like that, this passage is just sit back there and say, you're an unworthy servant at the end of the day. And any good in you is just what you were supposed to do anyway. Hold on to that. Okay. Now, again, like I said earlier, there are other aspects to this thing. We could talk about the fact that we are now sons. We could talk about how we are co-heirs with Christ in eternity. Okay. Um, and that adds to the picture, but it doesn't take away from the fact that fundamentally we are servants. Okay. So I'm going to close on that. Um, I know, again, sometimes I like to end it with sort of a hmm, ending. And I think we've done that today. Um, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer and just sort of ask him about these things. Because again, I think the case is, is that in our work life, certainly, uh, in the church, in our families, in our marriages, uh, we put ourselves in the center often. And we start wondering why everybody won't just get on board with uh, me and my agenda. I told you before, somebody, I can't remember who it was. If you, if you know who it was, you need to remind me. But, but there was somebody and they were talking about getting into arguments with their kids. Their kids wouldn't listen. And he said that every once in a while, he would just be sitting there and his kids are arguing. And he would go, just do my bidding. <laughs> just do my bidding. That's what I want you to do, right? Just do what I say because I'm the king of this castle. And the answer is, you're not the king of the castle, right? You are a servant to your family, your servant to your spouse, your servant to your employer, your servant most centrally to Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, you're working for him. And you say, my boss is a real jerk. And the answer is no, your boss is Jesus. The guy who's standing in front of you might be a jerk. Um, but you're called to work in that place the way you would for Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Ask him to work on our hearts in these things. Ask him to implant these things um, in in the way we where we think and perceive and engage with people on a daily basis. Um, and ask God to use it. Father God, um, we thank you for all of your many blessings and mercies to us. God, we confess that we are so, um, it is so easy for us to, like little children, to suddenly um, put ourselves in the center to demand that our needs be met and our dreams fulfilled and our desires um, doted on. God, it is easy for us to do that because we are foolish. Um, we don't see the way, uh, the world for what it is. We don't understand reality for what it is. But, God, your word informs us these things. It shows us who we really are. It shows us um, the glorious position that you have put us in, God. Um, there is nothing um, demeaning about being a servant, especially when we are servants in your household. God, it is the greatest honor of our lives to be servants in your kingdom. It is the greatest honor of our lives to do whatever you have called us to do. Help us to hold that in front of us as we walk through life, to see obedience not as a burden, but as a delight, God, in everything we do. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Um, I wanted to, um, real quick, do something a little different. Um, just uh, have another specific time of prayer. And this is for our brother, Adrian. Um, so uh, most of you are probably aware in the news of, of the stuff that is going on in the Ukraine right now. It's kind of hard to tell sometimes because of different voices in different places. And uh, the government says one thing and the news says this and whatever. But um, but. Adrian's um, wife is is of uh, Ukrainian background, and so she is over there. Um, her father is is has cancer and has has um, is close to passing, and so she has gone back to Ukraine uh, with their uh, three kids, Matthew, Mark, and Evelina, um, to to be with him. But obviously, this was a it's a crazy time to to be in the Ukraine. Okay, and so all of the the stuff that's going on around that. So just I want to I'm going to close in prayer um, with just kind of a special time because we want to honor that. You know, it's a it's 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 something a little out of the ordinary. Um, and so uh, that you would be in prayer for them, um, be in prayer for the whole situation politically and and, and things like that. Um, but particularly um, for for uh, Veronica and, and the kids. Okay. And just so they would, um, be safe and, and, and get back here, um, uh, without any impediment. Okay. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we, uh, we pray for our brother, Adrian. Uh, we pray for his precious family, um, that you would watch over them, that you would care for them. Um, God, that you would providentially, um, arrange circumstances so that everything, um, uh, lines up, uh, well and, and safe and, and beneficial. Um, God, we pray for the entire nation of Ukraine, the Ukraine. We pray, um, God, that there would be peace, um, that, that, um, cooler heads would prevail, that, that the things that we are seeing would be more posturing and, 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 uh, everything and that, that war would be averted, God, um, um, but God, we don't know your will in these things, but we ask for your mercy in terms of um, his family. Um, God, that you keep him safe, um, that you would bring him back um, home uh, quickly uh, and safely. God, you are the great provider. Um, you are the great father. Um, uh, you love uh, our families more than we love our families, and you wash over them with the care that only you can provide. We ask for that now. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.